Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amka na Unai. Good morning and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. And I'm your host, Lulu Gabu. With me in studio are Anne Musa, Wisani Makubele and Tami Kuza. Top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at this hour. The top United Nations official in the Democratic Republic of the Congo is disappointed that peace talks between the government and the rebel M23 movement concluded without an agreement. In a briefing to the UN Security Council yesterday, Martin Kobler, head of the UN mission in the country, MONUSCO, said UN and other envoys had tried to instill a sense of urgency in the negotiating party. UN Radio's Dian Pen reports. The goal of the four days of talks, which ended that morning in Uganda's capital, Kampala, was to reach a comprehensive agreement to end the M23 rebellion in the eastern DRC, which has displaced scores of civilians. I do not want to conceal my slight disappointment that after four long days and nights of negotiations until the early morning hours of today, it was not possible to reach a comprehensive deal despite the pressure of the five envoys as supportive observers. Kobler said the talks also sought to disband the M23 and allow for its transformation into a political movement. Mary Robinson, the UN Secretary-General's special envoy for the Great Lakes region, led the team of envoys in Kampala who represented the UN, the African Union, the United States and the European Union. Briefing the council via teleconference from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, she said the two parties could not reach agreement on issues such as amnesty, integration and disengagement. They have agreed to reconvene soon in order to overcome their differences. It will be critical that the parties and the facilitator remain committed to a swift conclusion of the Kampala process. The DRC government and the M23 initialed 8 out of 11 articles under discussion, according to Martin Kobler, who believes the remaining gaps can be bridged. But he stressed that regardless of the progress in Kampala, the situation on the ground in the eastern DRC remains volatile and of great concern. In recent days, we have observed a considerable military build-up on both sides of the front line. At the same time, M23 has fired twice at unarmed UN helicopters and has strengthened offensive positions threatening UN peacekeepers. The Special Envoy and myself have condemned these military attacks on peacekeepers in the strongest terms. However, for the sake of safeguarding an environment conducive for a negotiated settlement, I decided not to retaliate according to the rules of engagement. The 15 Security Council ambassadors recently returned from a mission to the Great Lakes region. Their meetings with leaders in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Uganda and Rwanda and at the African Union headquarters in Ethiopia reflected regional concern about the armed groups that threatened the eastern DRC and the country's neighbors. Diane Penn, United Nations. 
Malawi's opposition dominated parliament yesterday after nearly boycotting the sitting of parliament meant to discuss the looting of public and donor funds at Capitol Hill in Lilongwe. This after the opposition benches protested that Malawi's vice president Kumbo Kachali present to the house a report on what President Joyce Banda's government has done to clear the mess and deal with culprits. Justifications on why the president did not herself address the House angered most of the opposition MPs. As George Mhango reports from Blantyre, tempers are likely to flare in the House today as leaders of oppositions are due to respond. Just from the word go, opposition political parties in the House issued joint calls that President Joyce Banda addressed the House and not Vice President Kumbo Kachali. They claimed that the number two citizen is also linked to the financial scam at the Capitol Hill. But Speaker of Parliament Henry Chimontubanda objected to the motion. He said the Vice President held two capacities, that of his office and as his own person, and he should not be gagged from making a statement in Parliament as Vice President. This House cannot gag the Vice President from presenting the statement. Because other members, the vice president is here in his capacity as an occupant of the office. And therefore, uh, there is nothing to stop him from making a statement as an occupant of the office. And therefore, my guidance read with provisions of standing order 30 subsection 3, this being a government business day. Uh, government uh, is therefore entitled uh, to use his honor, the vice president, to make a presentation, uh, which presentation uh, relates to the office of the president and the office of the vice president. But George Chaponda, who is the leader of the former ruling Democratic Progressive Party in the House, maintained that the vice president was not the right person due to his alleged dirty deals. Chaponda did not justify which these data deals are. Right Honorable Speaker, on the 17th October 2013, we had not known then that the Right Honorable Vice President is involved in the event. And because of this Right Honorable Speaker, we are appealing that the right person to actually deliver this statement would be no other than the president herself. In saying this, right honorable speaker sir, we are saying this is an issue which is of great importance to the Malawi nation. And we feel because of that, I think the feelings of the people should be heard. I thank you Mr. Speaker sir. Trading of barbs by government and opposition members of parliament forced the speaker to suspend the sitting for 10 minutes. I will have just a short, a short suspension while you are seated there, quiet as you are, honorable members as you are, and uh, I will immediately guide the house. However, after convening, the VIP presented his report. Mr. Speaker, sir, concerning the case at hand, government will not shoot any person implicated in the abuse of public resources. 
He's a politician, senior or junior public servant. In addition, Mr. Speaker, sir, government will ensure that all cases related to this matter reach their logical conclusion, not act in a way the past regimes have done to discontinue cases of this nature along the way. After presentation of the report by the Vice President, commotion engulfed in the House because parliamentarians mostly from the opposition wanted the Vice President take some questions from the House. However, Speaker of Parliament Henry Chimutubanda objected. It was further agreed that immediately after the Vice President has delivered the statement, the House will adjourn Tuesday, 22nd October 2013, when leaders of opposition parties will be provided with the opportunity to offer their responses to the statement. Nevertheless, political and civil rights activists feel the report has not provided solutions to the already staggering Capitol Hill. Others say Parliament should discuss the matter with sober minds. Come this afternoon, it will be known as to whether government is serious about dealing with culprits and putting in place measures that will deal with any financial mismanagement. George Mohango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. You're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, and I'm your host, Lulu Gabu, and we're based in Johannesburg, South Africa, in Southern Africa, at the SABC. The web is changing lives every day. Channel Africa and Google are searching for the most inspiring and amazing stories of how the web and Google have played a pivotal role in transforming lives in Africa. Five of the most inspiring stories will each receive a 25,000 US dollar Africa connected prize as well as expert assistance to help make their success even greater to submit your stories go to www.africaconnected.com channel africa the voice of the african renaissance the Prime Minister of Togo, Kwesi Siliagoji Ahumeri Zunu, says the Pan-African Parliament should be given more powers and it should not just be an advisory body. He was the guest of honour at the official opening of the third ordinary session in Midrand, north of Johannesburg. The Pan-African Parliament is an organ of the African Union and was established to ensure full participation of the peoples of Africa in governance and economic integration of the continent. Ntlantla Matlangu reports. The permanent seat of the parliamentary parliament is in Midran, Johannesburg, South Africa. PEP was inaugurated on the 18th of March in 2004. The establishment of PEP was inspired by a vision to provide a common platform for Africa's people and their grassroots organizations to be more involved in discussions and decision makings on the problems and challenges facing the continent. The ultimate aim of PEP is to evolve into an institution with full legislative powers. At present, it exercises advisory and consultative powers. PEP currently has 230 members. Speaking during the opening of the session, the president of the Pan-African Parliament, Bethel Amadi, told the parliamentarians that Africa needs to urgently expand the mandate of the African Court of Human and People's Rights to try crimes of genocide, crimes against humanity and war crimes. The AU recently came to the defense of Kenyan leaders accused of crimes against their people during the 2007 elections. Amadi says the recent developments at the International Criminal Court highlights the need for strong African institutions. 
Nobody can solve your problems better than yourself. So it's up for us to stand up and condemn these acts and deal with them here on our continent and make sure that the people of Africa get better governance. Because if you continue to depend economically on the international community, you depend on them for law and order, you depend on them for development, you depend on them for everything. So what are we doing for ourselves? I think time has come that we begin to strengthen our own domestic institutions within our continent. Kenya Speaker of Parliament, Ekwe Etoro, delivered a message of solidarity. We are also convening at a time when the prospects of Africa are brighter than ever before. Seven out of the ten first growing economies are found in our continent, including our own Republic of South Africa, which is part of the BRICS. Oil and gas exploration is extremely exciting in the East African region. While the excitement is in the air, the question still begs answers. What happened to the dreams of the founding fathers of the continent such as Kwame Nkrumah, Julius Nyerere, and Awajomo Kenyatta, to mention but a few? of pan-Africanism, political liberation to be followed by economic liberation. And then the poor in Africa more than the prosperous. And even the few prosperous nations, the inequality is very high. The Speaker of Parliament in South Sudan, Manasseh Magok Rundial, told parliamentarians that there are a number of issues that still need to be resolved in his country. Honorable speakers, as I already alluded to, there are a number of issues in which we are yet to reach agreement with the Republic of Sudan. I have mentioned again the other outstanding issue relates to the disputed areas along our borders. However, we remain optimistic that all these matters will eventually be resolved through dialogue and negotiations as well as other peaceful means. We have been encouraged by the efforts of His Excellency President Salva Kimayadi and his counter and his Sudanese counterpart, President Omar al-Bashir. The third ordinary session of the Pan-African Parliament will sit until the 2nd of November. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Glantla Matlangu in Johannesburg. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. You're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. It's exactly 8.20 Central African time, and I'm your host, Lulu Gabu. Africa is changing for the better, according to the representative of the African Union to the United Nations. Ambassador Tete Antonio spoke with UN Radio as the United Nations observes Africa NEPAD Week from the 18th to the 25th of October. NEPAD, the new partnership for Africa's development, was adopted by African leaders in 2001 to fight poverty and promote sustainable growth, development and the empowerment of women. Ambassador Antonio tells UN Radio's Joseph Msami about what Africa's NEPAD Week is focusing on. The theme of NEPAD is progress on the implementation of NEPAD and the peer review mechanism. We are celebrating this year the 10 years anniversary of the peer review mechanism as well. So it coincides with the 10 years of CADEP, which is a comprehensive program for the development of agriculture 
It's an EU program as well. So it is a very significant year, apart from the 50th anniversary we are celebrating also of the EU and EU itself. What will be your message to the international community? Well, the message is that NEPAD first is an African program. Our main message is that uh, we develop partnerships. That's where we are here. But the partnerships should fit within our priorities, which are designed in NEPAD. I think this is one of the messages we can send. But the team, I already told you, the team we are going to develop, and it fits the overall theme of Pan-Africanism and African Renaissance. So implementation of NEPA and progress peer review mechanism are important aspect of this overall celebration we have of the 50th anniversary. What specific do you need United Nations to do in this way? United Nations means member states. It also means all its organs. It also means the world. So while celebrating at the United Nations, we would like to send our message to the world is the capital of the international diplomacy. So once you drop a message in New York, you go all over the world. Do you think the partnership between the developed countries and Africa, does it stand for benefit of developed countries only or for both sides? It is tend for both sides. Now, how you work on the balance, I think there is a lot of change in the continent. You should look at the change happening in the continent in terms of quality of negotiations, in terms of how we deal with our partners, how our partners look at us. So the main rule of it is a win-win partnership. And in practical? In practical, it is a win-win partnership. Now, depend on how you assess this win. There are challenges in terms of how the current governance of international economy, international institutions was set long ago is, but there is effort of changes. But I think change should come with ourselves. When you look at only those countries now, you talk about China, you talk about some of our Asian countries, how people used to look at them yesterday. It's no longer the same way you look at them because the situation itself requires a change of your attitude. I think this is happening in Africa as well. Africa is changing and certainly this is going to change the attitude of our partners. Those who are not yet convinced. Do you mean the changes should begin from Africans themselves? It began already. Began already? Long time. So this is the right time for you to send a message to Africans to keep on those changes of altitude? No, we don't need to send it anymore. I think people are aware of the change which are happening. Not only the Africans. Look at the literature before how Africa was described. It's just a disparate continent, which is now a rising one. Yeah, the famous insertion of the economists describing Africa as a disparate continent, which is now described as a rising continent. So the change itself is there. We don't really need to tell it to our Africans. Economic analysts have been saying that Africa is the first world to be. What is the position of NEPAD on that, in terms of economic? Well, I represent the African Union mm-hmm. as a side. So let's talk about the general. NEPAD is an implementation program of the African Union. Certainly, look at the growth of the continent maintained at 5% despite the crisis in the world. And there is a lot of structural change also, even in our attitude. We are aware that we need to industrialize. We have been exporting raw materials for centuries, but we didn't bring development to us. It didn't create jobs. We know that there is a need to change and change our way of doing business in terms of industrialization of the continent in order to accommodate our young population, which is the majority, is one of our assets. 
That was representative of the African Union to the United Nations, Ambassador Tete Antonio, talking to Joseph Msami. Heads of State of the Central African Economic and Monetary Community, SEMEC, are meeting in Jamena, the capital of Chad, to discuss the worsening humanitarian situation in Central African Republic. The president of Equatorial Guinea, Theodoro Obiang Wema Mbasogo, has suggested that they should not accept the United Nations' proposed peace deal, but seek African solutions to African problems. He was speaking in Malabo after receiving a special answer of the United Nations Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon, who is asking that African countries should deploy troops to Central African Republic. Moki Kinziger has more from Yaoundé. The heads of states of the Central African Economic and Monetary Community are meeting in Jamina, the capital of Chad, to examine ways of handling the crisis in the Central African Republic that has displaced over 220,000 people, according to UNHCR sources. The president of Equatorial Guinea, Teodoro Obiangemba Basoga, has suggested that they should not accept the United Nations' proposed humanitarian intervention to solve CAR's problems, but seek African solutions to African problems. No son capaces de resolver los problemas internos de sus respectivos países. We are capable of solving our internal problems with means from African countries, he says. President Obiang says Africa is the only continent where people come to exploit natural resources in the name of solving problems as it has always been the case from the colonial era. Speaking to Channel Africa, this time through a French-speaking interpreter, President Obiang said he was against all humanitarian initiatives organized by the United Nations to solve problems in conflict zones in Africa. He says humanitarian assistance should not consist in sending forces to kill people in countries where there are crises. Humanitarian assistance, he adds, should consist of mobilizing economic resources to help countries that are suffering. He says today there is need to help Africa, but Equatorial Guinea is saying that it is against that form of humanitarian aid initiated by the United Nations. He is calling on Africa to give it another name, not humanitarian assistance, because it does not help humanity, according to him. The United Nations and the African Union have singled out Seleka fighters as being responsible for killings, enforced disappearances, arbitrary arrest and detention, torture, sexual violence against women and children, rape, recruitment and use of children and attacks against civilians in Central African Republic. President Michel Jotodia says he already declared their existence illegal. Uh, nous devrions 
formé. Oui, nous allons entraîner les soldats de la formation Seleka parce que pour nous, Seleka n'est plus existe. Nous avons les forces africaines centrales. Nous allons transférer les secrétaires à toutes les armées barracks pour faire un census de ceux qui acceptent de faire partie du processus d'armement. C'est seulement après que nous allons organiser le recrutement d'une armée Ce n'est qu'après que nous nous bornerons, n'est-ce pas Early this month, the United Nations Security Council unanimously approved a resolution aimed at stabilizing the Central African Republic from near chaos that has lasted half a year. As special envoy, Senegalese-born General Boubacar Gaye visited Central African countries to encourage them to apply the UN resolution. He told Channel Africa the objective of his visit. La première action que l'on attend aujourd'hui, c'est que d'abord... The first thing we expect is readiness on the part of all countries of the sub-region. That is the purpose of my visit. Then African forces should be deployed as soon as possible. Bangui has been secured to permit forces to be present. Lastly, those who are in charge of the transition should be able to put a stop to impunity and illegal framework should be instituted so that all crimes committed should not go unpunished. Carl's self-imposed president Michel Jotodia says his country has been desperately struggling to put a stop to the activities of his opponents and describes them as robbers. Central Africa has seen no peace ever since Michel Jotodia took over from François Bozizi in a coup d'état. It is expected that after the meeting in Jamina, leaders of Central African states will deploy more troops to the Central African Republic. There are already troops deployed by the African Union to help people of that part of Africa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundé. You're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. I'm your host, Lulu Gabu. It is exactly 8.31 Central African time, and we now cross over to Anne Musa for the headlines. Good morning. A team of investigators is in South Sudan's Jongli State to probe Sunday's deadly attack that resulted in many deaths and injuries. Central African Republic's neighbors are meeting in chat to discuss boosting an African peacekeeping force to protect citizens from armed gangs sowing terror in the country. And there are reports of suspected polio cases in Syria. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. In our next story, Zimbabwe is not likely to meet the Millennium Development Goals, or MDGs, set by the world leaders in 2000 to eradicate poverty, according to a Zimbabwean activist. Tatenda Murima of the Zimbabwe United Nations Association, Zuna, was at UN headquarters in New York recently for an NGO meeting on post-2015 agenda. The year 2015 is the deadline the leaders set for 
for achieving the MDGs and now discussions have started on what should be the agenda after that year. UN Radio's Derek Mbata caught up with Tatenda Murima and first asked him about the work of his organization. Our organization is mainly focused on all the UN topical issues, including the MDGs, the human rights, sustainable development, and all other UN topical issues. Of course, the MDGs, they are talking about the Millennium Development Goals. Yes. Give me your assessment. How is Africa doing in achieving the MDGs? As you know, the deadline is 2015. Is Africa on course to achieve the MDGs by 2015? 2015, I think it's a little bit early for Africa right now because they have the resources, but they are lacking like those who are able to work to achieve the 2015 MDGs. So Africa, I think 2015 is a little bit early, and I don't think they are going to meet all the MDGs by 2015. Of course, you know that there are eight of these MDGs. Are they not going to be able to meet any of them or are some of the African countries able to meet some of them? Yeah, some of the African countries, for example, South Africa, they might be able to achieve some of the MDGs. But as compared to my country, Zimbabwe, as the country is facing some economic hardships, so achieving it by 2015, I think... That won't happen. What about in the area of education? Zimbabwe was well known for being able to provide good education to children. Is this MDG lagging behind too? This MDG is not lagging, but as we all know in our country, as I said before, the country is facing some economic hardships. So it's like those who have the knowledge to teach the kids, they are like losing hope, they are like reluctant to teach the young ones. So the education sector is like not booming, it's going down because of lack of interest for those who have the knowledge to teach the young ones, whom are called the teachers. In your view, what should the focus be in developing or in mapping out this uh, post-2015 development agenda? The focus, I think, is to be mainly on the human rights, mainly on human rights, because human rights covers, like, everything. When we talk of human rights, we are talking of, it's like a broad term. What about on the economic front? On the economic perspective, everything is centered by economic front, so we can't do nothing without putting the economic factor on everything. That was Tatenda Murima of the Zimbabwe United Nations Association talking to UN Radio's Derek Mbata. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. You're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, and I'm your host, Lulu Gabu. It's exactly 8.36 Central African time. And on to our next story. A Chinese oil company called Greater Pioneer has given more than half a million people in South Sudan a two-month deadline to move away, allegedly from their own, for their own safety. The people have been living near oil-producing fields in South Sudan's Unity State on the White Nile. The company has asked the government to look for places where the people can be relocated. But the people say they will not leave until the company compensates them for what they describe as their ancestry land. Channel Africa's James Shimanyula reports. 
The Chinese company behind the relocation deadline has constructed a pipeline linking oil fields in South Sudan with refineries in North Sudan's capital Khartoum and its Red Sea port of Port Sudan. Apart from operating fields in South Sudan's unity state, the Greater Pioneer Oil Company operates dozens more in other parts of the country. The Ningo Chuol, field manager at the company, indicated it was the safety factor that prompted the management to ask people to move away. There are a number of factors that we think that uh, people should not live near us to the oil production facility and that uh, means our safety department alongside with our community development uh, working with the local authorities and government to make sure that we educate the population around oil areas to a safer area. A study carried out by Lana Skatik, a researcher on hydrogen sulfide crude oil and gas at the University of California, Berkeley, in the United States, sheds more light on the safety aspect. Skatik points out that people living near oil plants may be exposed to hydrogen sulfide, an irritant chemical. He says it's emitted during the stages of processing oil and poses a risk to human health. According to researcher Skatik, hydrogen sulfide can cause eye inflammation as well as respiratory irritation accompanied by tears and coughing. Skin irritation is also a common symptom as well as dizziness, headaches, vomiting and convulsions. United States Secretary of Social Affairs Frank Oduos-Deu justified the decision to relocate residents. The policy laid down by our government, the central government, being around the company is very effective to the children even to themselves. So it is another way of preventing them to be affected by the chemicals which are used for the operation by the company. Ching Machan lives in one of the areas surrounding a unity state oil field. Speaking in Arabic, he complained about the lack of preparations for such a large relocation. Machar says it is inhuman to push people from areas they live before finding a permanent settlement for them. We need roads, water, health facilities, electricity, Machar says. Another resident of Unity State, Angelina Nyagai Mbath, is speaking in a local vernacular through an interpreter, had this to say. It would have been good for the company to build better schools, hospitals, provide clean water, and good roads before displacing people. Bath says the oil company should first think about the health of people in Unity State, which is being affected by the chemicals it uses. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. South African President Jacob Zuma has stood firm in reaffirming government's decision to go ahead with the implementation of e-tolls on Gauteng Province's highways. This is in the wake of the decision by the Supreme Court of Appeal to dismiss a challenge to the e-tolling by the opposition to Urban Tolling Alliance and other civil society groups. The decision paved way for the tolling to go ahead by December. Last night, President Zuma was at the University Great Hall in Johannesburg, where he addressed professionals and members of the academia and the business sector. Tepo Ikaneng has more. The Gauteng e saga has pitted the ANC against a rock and a hard place as it prepares to engage in a turf war with opposition DA ahead of next year's general election. 
political analysts believe that the implementation of the ETOS could cause the ANC dearly in middle-class votes. A major civil disobedience campaign against counting e-tolling is being planned after the latest court bid to halt it failed. The opposition to urban tolling alliance Alta and the Trade Union Federation Kosatu have called on citizens to refuse to buy e-tax. The planned campaign to derail the e-tolling system has presented a major challenge to the ANC, which deployed President Zuma to tackle this thorny issue at the party's manifesto forum at Vets University last night. We are in Johannesburg. It's not some national road in Malawi. No. It is not fair to make... President Zuma had to spend much of his time trying to justify his government's decision to implement the unpopular e-tolling system. The roads are to be told to pay back the money we borrowed to build the freeways to make the economy flow in Johannesburg. Not so. The principle of user pay has to apply to complement the costs incurred by government. This is what all the economies in the world do. We can't think like Africans in Africa, generally. We are in Johannesburg. The president went on to urge citizens to buy e tags We thank all citizens who have registered for the e tags so that we can continue to improve roads and boost economic growth in Gauteng. Gauteng must develop. It can't stand in one place. It can't be. It can't be like Rustenberg. Huh? We urge those that have not registered to please register your vehicles. It's important for our economy. It's important for Johannesburg. It's one of the leading cities in the world, not just in the country, in the world. But the president's plea was not well received by this youth activist who believes that the e-tolling system will cause the ANC the much-needed votes in Gauteng. I think the ANC should just listen to the people. Why would the ANC uh, sign a bill and legislate it to make people pay until they die or, uh, uh, on, on it all? To me, it's just a matter of people wanting to make profit on the people and, and it's going to go bad for the ANC support in the next coming elections. These are some of the views expressed by ANC members who attended the party's manifesto forum. As a progressive professional forum, we want uh, the ANC to win two-thirds because we feel there is a need for a review of the constitution, especially in terms of the property clause. So we want the ANC to ensure that it wins the election that can be reviewed. And we also want to, uh, the ANC to ensure that there is industrialization of in the townships. For me, the key issue is economic transformation and the fundamental transformation of, of, of the economy of South Africa into a more equitable and just economy where, people where broadly people participate in a meaningful way, where jobs are created and the structure of the economy is, is, is changed to enable people to not only to have access to the resources but to contribute meaningfully to the productive and to the manufacturing sectors which are, for me are key in South Africa. Also present at the Manifesto Forum were Houghton Premier Novula Mukonyani and Provincial ANC Chairperson Paul Mashatile. Tsepo Ikaneng in Johannesburg.
You're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. I'm your host, Lulu Gabu. It's exactly 8.44 Central African time, and we cross over to Wisani Makubele for our economics news. Thanks, Lulu. Good morning. Egypt hopes to start repaying debts to oil firms within two months. Chairperson of the state-run Egyptian General Petroleum Corporation, Tarek El Mola, says they are still making the required case for business to the finance ministry and the central bank, adding his government is in the discussion phase over repayment details. Egypt has struggled to meet soaring energy bills caused by high subsidies on fuel products for its 85 million people. It owes oil companies $6.2 billion. The country has been delaying payments to oil and gas firms because of political up- Upheaval since the overthrow of President Hosni Mubarak in 2011 has battered its economy, frightening away tourists and, tourists and investors and cutting into tax revenues. Some of the debts were incurred before the 2011 revolt. Mining giant DBS general manager at Venetia Mine in South Africa, Ludwig Maltitz, says the total workforce of mine workers at Venetia Diamond Mine will almost double during the construction phase of the underground mine. Construction will be officially launched by President Jacob Zuma and DBS CEO Mark Kutifani today at Venetia, outside Musina in Limpopo province. Maltitz says so far they have about 2,000 workers and the number will double during the construction phase which will last until 2021. Currently we've got about 1,215 people that are employed by the beers and then we also have 1,342 contractors. So that brings us to around about 2,500 people at the moment in the open pit environment. Maltit said production will expand until 2043. We're averaging in the order of 38 million tonnes per annum of, of waste and then added to that is between 5 and 6 million tons of kimberlite. So roughly over the next 5-6 years we'd be in the order of 40 to 43 million tons a year overall. But then with underground, with a, a lot less waste stripping, you'd basically have a little bit of tunnel developing which adds to waste and that would be in the order of 6.5 million tons per year and that would be for the full term of underground up to around about 2040. Uganda risks falling victim to a resource curse when it launches commercial oil production. This, according to Human Rights Watch, which says Uganda's government lacks the political will to fight corruption. With Uganda aiming to sell its oil by 2016 at the earliest, critics of President Yoweri Museveni says... He say he has created a culture of impunity for cronies who steal public money. Human Rights Watch says prosecution of high-ranking Ugandan officials is rare. In several instances, it says Museveni has expressed support for those implicated in the embezzlement of public funds, Uganda's biggest source of aid, Britain, and all other major Western donors cut off direct budget support at the end of last year after reports showed that about $13 million had been stolen. U.S. job growth has slightly picked up in September, suggesting that the economy enjoyed rising momentum before an un before an acrimonious budget fight in Washington took some of the wind out of its sail. Non-farm payment rolls. 
non-farm payrolls are expected to have increased by 180,000 workers, a step up from August's gain of 169,000. The unemployment rate is seen having held steady at a near five-year low of 7.3%. The Labor Department will release its monthly employment, employment report today, more than two weeks later than originally scheduled, because of the partial shutdown of the federal government earlier this month. The data regularly sets the tone for global financial markets. However, economists say the shutdown has lessened its importance, with officials at the Federal Reserve likely to hold off any decision on scaling back the U.S. central bank's bond buying until the extent of the economic damage from the budget fight is clearer. Financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 9.80 to the South African rand, at 8.30 Botswana Pulas and 5.25 Zambian Quaches. It's also trading at 0.61 to the British pound and 0.73 to the euro. Commodities, platinum is trading at $1,431 and gold at $1,316 an ounce. Finally, the price of Brent crude oil is at $109.25 a barrel. And that's the economics news for now. It's back to Lulu. Thank you, Isani. Tami Gluza, the issue with violence in Egypt. What are the proposed uh, venues for an alternate for the game to take place? You know what has happened? They were given enough time by FIFA by the end of this month that they must confirm the neutral venue that they will play the second leg of the World Cup playoffs against Ghana. Mm. But uh, before that happened, yesterday I understand that there were blasts that happened in the city. So Mm. they might be having a little bit of a problem. Remember even Ethiopia, they wanted a friendly with them. They said, no, we, we, we can't go there until the security concerns are cleared and apart from that even the CAF Champions League two matches were shifted in Cairo Mm -hmm. the other one was played in the Red Sea Resort of El Guna the other one is in Alexandria Mm -hmm. so it's it's a big uh, problem when it comes to security concerns in Egypt well give us the details Thanks for joining us once again. Another bomb explodes in Egypt with barely eight days left for the deadline for security and now the country stands at risk of playing the second leg of the 2014 World Cup place playoff outside their country as a car bomb exploded in the country targeting the police and the military with just about eight days left for the deadline of security guarantee from Egypt that was ordered by FIFA. Violence looked to be on the rise in the North African country. Even though the Egyptian Football Association has urged the country is safe to host the second leg, the Ghana Football Association insists that the match be played outside the country to ensure their security are in safe hands. It will be a big blow to Egyptian dream to the 2014 World Cup if FIFA allows the match to be played outside the North African country. The North Africans were thrashed by 6-1 in the first leg in Kumasi and will need a 5-0 win to earn a ticket to the 2014 World Cup. Meanwhile, Egypt coach Bob Bradley says that he wants to stay on as a national boss despite their World Cup host being over. 
This after a 6-1 defeat to Ghana in Kumasi that left his side needing a minor miracle in the second leg in Egypt next month if they had to come through in the place playoff. But Bradley says that he wants the opportunity to turn that World Cup tie around. If it's left to me, I will be with the team because we have been together throughout this period with uh, a dream and it's important that we can stand together one more time. Uh, For me, most of all, um, the players who uh, love Egypt so much, I think the the pressure uh, of everything that's happened in this country the last two years uh, was great on this day and when you put it all together, it was too much. And now back home, the general manager of the South African soccer premier outfit, Orlando Pirates, Floyd Dembele, has made a huge plea and a humble plea to the team supporters. Mbele has called on the Pirates followers to stop criticizing the team and rally behind it. Since Pirates coach Roger Desar joins the team last year, he had been on the receiving end from some supporters. But Mbele says that the team needs unity more than ever before. I think it's important, and I said this the first time after we had beaten Alakli, that the magnitude of support that we had received then uh, was not comforting. People wanted to quote it in whatever way that it did. But clearly, people were not mindful of what it is that we were getting at as a club. I think it's humbling to be able to see the support that we've received so far. Because like I said at that time, when you do go out and travel in the rest of the continent, everybody unifies around the same team. And now in swimming, South African Olympic gold medalist Chad Leclerc overcame a defeat in the 100-meter butterfly to later top the podium in the 200-meter individual medley for his second gold at the Doha leg of the FINA World Cup Series yesterday. Leclerc, the world's leading man butterfly swimmer, suffered an upset when U.S. swimmer Tom Shields got the better of him to set a new U.S. record of 48.80 seconds. Meanwhile, South African swimming stalwart Ronald Schumann just missed out on claiming his third gold medal at the Doha Gala when he was outtasked by Vlad Morozov of Russia in the men's 50-meter freestyle in 21.3 seconds. Skuman clocked the time of 21.4 seconds for the silver medal and Anthony Evin of the U.S. placed third with 21.23 seconds. And finally with netball, looking ahead to the first match of the Tri-Nations being played at the Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University Indoor Sports Centre that is in South Africa's provincial town of Port Elizabeth this week, the Spartans have said that they are ready for the challenge. Learning from the experience recently gained against England in the three test series in September, the Spra National Netball Proteas are looking forward to putting their training to test against Trinidad and Tobago and especially England this week. The South African national netball team has had a few good practice session and captain Micah Holsen says that the team is ready to tackle the week head on. The Spa Proteas will open the Tri-Nations with the first match against Trinidad and Tobago at 5pm today. That's the end of our sport. Turn back to Lulu Gabo. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. 
Recapping our top stories in Africa, Raz and Shine at this hour. DRC peace talks with M23 rebels end without an agreement and fierce debate erupts in Malawi's parliament over government corruption. That wraps up Africa, Raz and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzora Magadza, technical producer Mario Edwards and the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org or send us an SMS to plus 2782-332-5905. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Muzat with The Party After.